0: Take me out to the ball game Take me out with the crowd Buy me some peanuts and cracker jacks. I don't care if I ever get back Cause it's rude, rude for the whole team They don't win. it's a shame Cause it's one, two, three strikes You're out right at the
1: Welcome to Let's Get 2, the baseball show from the fans' perspective. Now here's your host, James Christopher. Let's Get to presents the first pitch. Opening thoughts from James Christopher.
0: And welcome to Let's Get 2. I'm your host, James Christopher, and we are through the first week or weekend or so of Major League Baseball. Remember, if your team went 0-4 playing at home against your division rival... The season isn't over yet. And if your team on the road went 4-0 against a division rival, the season isn't over yet. Long way to go. Don't start worrying about things until sometime around May. Memorial Day is usually what we go with on this show. But that's the Major League opening, and it was fun, and it was great. It was great to have baseball back. It was fun to see all the fan bases uh, just getting excited, getting pumped up. Some Twitter meltdowns, maybe a little too early for that. But again, it was fun. But it means that we're also closer to a lot of other opening days that are just as important. Now, you'll notice that I'm wearing a t-shirt that says, Support Local Baseball. It was a gift from my wife who is amazing. Uh, I think I've now worn it a a bunch of times since she gave it to me just a few weeks ago. But we're getting close to the opening day for the affiliated minor leagues sometime around May 4th. We're going to see the Atlantic League kick off, the Frontier League, the American Association, the Pecos League, the Northwoods League, the Prospect League, on and on and on and on and on. Local baseball is where the majority of baseball is being played in your community, in your area, and we just want to remind everyone again to support them. You have to realize that These are teams that make all of their money based on tickets, merch, food, and local advertising at the ballpark. None of those things have happened since around September of 2019. They didn't get to play at all during the pandemic for the most part. Some of the collegiate summer leagues and indie leagues had little pods to do their best to keep the lights on, but that was about it. And so if you've never, ever, ever gotten out to... A minor league baseball game or or a collegiate summer league or indie, now's the time to do it. One, you're gonna have a better time than you ever thought possible. You're gonna enjoy fireworks on a Friday, a Thursday, Thursday, superhero night, on and on and on. It's not gonna break the bank. And you're gonna be helping out a small community. You're gonna be helping out the people that work at the ballpark, both retirees that are that are doing a job they've always wanted to do, like being an usher or something and getting to be at the ballpark, to young baseball executives who are the future of the front office of this game. You're helping out local businesses that advertise. You're helping local businesses that benefit ancillarily from baseball. So it's important, and we have so many trips planned. Um, starting the first weekend of May, we are going to be in Corpus Christi, and then we're going to be in – we're hoping in – Frisco for the Rough Riders. We're going to be in Sugarland. We're going to be in Cleburne. And then we're going to be all over the country. We're going to be in Michigan, in Oregon, in Milwaukee, in Wisconsin, Washington, D.C. We're going to be in Pennsylvania. We're going to be everywhere this season watching local baseball and supporting local baseball. And if you're a fan of this show, we know it's not because you're here because you're looking for hot Major League Baseball takes because we don't do those. You're here because you love independent and minor league baseball. And so we hope that you get out and support those, until you get out and support those teams and those clubs. And we open invitation. If you had a great experience on at one of these games, if you got to go see uh, um, the I don't know the Tri City Chili Peppers, and you want to come on and talk about it, open invitation. We want to hear about all of your experiences from all over the world of baseball.
1: Let's get to presents Goodwood, knocking around the majors with Andy Tomchessen.
0: So we're going to jump into Goodwood this morning with Andy Tomchessen And Andy, we've actually got, you know, a, a Major League Baseball political decision. Now we're getting the tweets of baseball should, players should just shut up and not and not get involved in politics. But Major League Baseball has pulled the All-Star game and the draft out of the Atlanta, Georgia area as a result of them passing their their voting law, good decision by Major League Baseball or overstepping? Uh, I think you have to look
2: at it in the historical context of Major League Baseball and their stellar record of uh, social issues and change as uh, those things, you know, are part of the American society. And this goes back to, I mean, literally the Gentleman's Agreement, uh, which prevented African-American players and really anybody who didn't have a Latin last name with darker skin from playing baseball until 1947. That wasn't a quick reaction to the uh, result of the Civil War, frankly. (laughs) And that's how far it goes back. So you're literally talking about 1947 before you let an African American man play baseball. Um, And since then, it's only gotten slightly better from a standpoint of Major League Baseball deciding to get involved with anything. So they were even, I, I
0: mean, going back to last year, they were even the slowest league to have any sort of opinion on the George Floyd situation.
2: Absolutely. And I think they take their time to weigh, or at least historically have taken their time, uh, A, not to disrupt the business, but B, to weigh how this is going to affect ticket sales ultimately. Uh, And this was kind of a step forward for them historically to say, this is wrong. This is voter suppression. We can see that it's voter suppression, no matter what you call it, no matter what you wrap it in, this is what it is. And we don't want to be a part of it. And I think it is A, necessary. I I do agree with the move, uh, but I also think it's a little bit calculated on Major League Baseball's part because 100% they're trying to appeal to younger voters. And this is an issue that absolutely younger voters care about.
0: One of the things I found interesting was the pushback from it. To me, when I read the news, I was, oh, completely makes sense. This is what they should do. And we'd already seen precedent. We saw precedent with Disney pulling productions out of North Carolina after the bathroom bill, things like that. I was shocked to see so many people that I would have thought, you know, being um, in favor of the move, including some of the, the, the voting rights activists in Georgia being against the move, I guess, citing the fact that it wasn't fair to take $60 billion worth of business away. Is it one thing when you pull out of North Carolina where there's largely nothing versus pulling it out of a major metropolitan area like Atlanta? Is that the issue or... Is it just, it affects me more directly, so now I want to be upset about the move?
2: I think that's more of it. I think it's the, uh, I'm more affected, so I care kind of thing. Um, The reality is, if you're doing the right thing, it shouldn't matter. um, If it's North Carolina, where there is no business, or there is, it's Georgia, where you have a major league team who is a World Series favorite at this point. Uh, those things shouldn't matter if you know that you're doing the right thing. And, I'm, you know, giving Major League Baseball the benefit of the doubt, which, as we know, if we've listened to previous episodes of this segment, is difficult for me. Um, I, I think, you know, their their intentions are in the right place. And ultimately, yes, it affects businesses. No, it's not fair to people who don't have control about it. But it literally is the only voice Major League Baseball has in affecting things for their constituents. And so if it takes a bold master stroke, uh, a a huge effort, a huge gesture to have their voices heard, uh, I think that's right. I think that's what you do. And I say that as somebody sitting in Houston, Texas, knowing that we have a similar bill sitting in our state legislature right now that if it's passed, would potentially preclude Dallas or Houston from ever having an All-Star game, or at least in the, the near future, not that we're in the rotation. Um, and then, you know, you know, the danger of it, I think, is that you potentially are going to be in a place where maybe Seattle, California, um, and New York are the only places that you can have an all-star game if you're going to host it in one of your, one of your major league stadiums, which I'm guessing Rob Manfred wouldn't care about because if it's in New York, he can just, you know, roll out to the draft for the first two picks and then disappear and hand it off to one of his underlings. Uh, he doesn't attend an all-star game anyway, um, because, you know, why would he? So, you know, little loss for him.
0: Yeah, and it does seem, you know, there are, whether, no matter how you want to look at it, some of the things that are in this bill, um, for example, I know, at least in one version of it, no early voting on Sundays. And we know that a lot of African-American churches go to church and then they vote early voting as a collective group, um, handing out food and water, things like that, limiting the polling places. All of those things do add up to voter suppression.
2: Absolutely. Um, And you talk about uh, in Texas, the Texas bill, and I know Georgia has a similar thing, uh, allowing early voting, but limiting it uh, to five o'clock every day. And I think starting at like nine. So if you are somebody who works eight to five, you can't vote early. If you are somebody who is a shift worker and you go say three to 11 um, or work overnight, you now have to decide, do I go to sleep and take care of all the other things I have to take care of? Or do I go vote? Um, and knowing that you're potentially going to be living in a place where the polling places are limited, um, now you have to anticipate waiting in line. And if you're waiting in line, you have to anticipate waiting in line for hours and no one's allowed to hand you a bottle of water. Uh, there's some uh, reading of the Texas rule that says maybe you can't even bring water. Maybe they don't let food in the polling place or online at all. That way, just to remove any suspicion, So now you're asking people to potentially sit, and I'm not making this number up, eight hours in line for the privilege of voting, the right of voting, Um, no food, no water, no place to can't sit, that's another thing, there's no sitting when you're in line, Um, no drive-through voting, because that's somehow illegal and bad. Uh, So all these things combined are absolutely targeting the working class person, and the working class person tends to skew younger, tends to vote Democrat. And, and so that's where this is coming from. Um, and it's hugely interesting to me that the right, who is very much pro- a proponent of these laws in Georgia and a proponent of these laws in Texas and other states where they're being proposed, um, are screaming cancel culture when it comes to MLB. Screaming, screaming that you know we need to boycott MLB. Um, and to them, I say Dixie Chicks.
0: Yeah, I mean you're right, and and just to further your point, um, when you make it harder, and, and this, and, and I'll say this to those people that maybe don't see the problem with some of the provisions of the bill because it doesn't occur to them. But those of those of the people who do work hourly hourly shifts, hourly wages, they can't take the time off. You and I can get time off pretty much whenever we want to. Right, that is the privilege that we are living our lives in. They do skew young. They skew lower economic, which means they also skew people of color. And so if you don't see it as suppression, yeah, of course it's not going to be a sign like back in the day that said Irish need not apply. Of course it's not that. They're smarter than that. It is definitely some form of suppression.
2: Yep. And I think that's ultimately the issue. And I think that Major League Baseball is absolutely right in taking a stand on this on this topic, no matter who it hurts from a business perspective. Um, and I think ultimately you have to kind of look at it from a blind perspective and say, is this the right thing to do? Yes. We'll deal with the fallout later versus what's the fallout and then figure out how to act. And they're right. Um, very- and I think, you know, one of the few times I'm, you know, happy to say I think major league baseball is on the right side of history with this.
0: Uh Last question, because we're a major league baseball show talking about major league baseball things. Uh, how long do you think Otani is going to really be able to, I feel like every year it's the same thing. He's the greatest player I ever play. And then something happens. Um, he did, have a 100-mile-an-hour pitch and an over 100 um, exit velo yesterday um, on the day we're recording this, excuse me. So how, uh, how long can he keep this up? I, you know, health is
2: one of those interesting things. Um, nothing that has happened to him is what I would consider a chronic injury, right? But it's this series of things that keep him out of action or keep him limited to being a normal baseball player. So he can either pitch – or he can hit in the last couple of years he had to been able to pitch because he's recovering from uh, basically a Tommy John surgery. Although I, for some reason, they don't call it that with them. Um, so he's able to hit and he's half the player that major league baseball really wants him to be the guy who, uh, has the 115 exit velo and throws hundred miles an hour. Um, they are pumping him hard and have been literally all spring and really since he came over from Japan. Um, I just, it just even last night with that, incre- those two incredible moments in that game, uh, he still didn't get out of what the fifth inning?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: he still left the, the fifth inning because he was hurt. Um, mm-hmm. And there's still such a clown show around him. If you watch that sequence of events that led to the Angels losing their lead temporarily, um, it was a throw to the plate, I think that bounced 100 feet, 200 feet away. Um, another just allowed just a It looked like the 2012 or 2013 Astros, uh, as an Astros fan. It was just every blooper reel thing you could have happen happened in that play. And that's the Angels. Um, they had hit a whole lot. Uh they scored seven runs last night. Pitching is suspect and their defense is is not good. Um, so you know, that's good record for a 500 team, which is I think is where most people who know what they're talking about have the Angels at. MLB.com, of course, has them winning the division, which is why they're pumping Otani in the first place. Um, I just don't think with him, all these things add up. And, and, you know, at some point you look at, we know that throwing, pitching a baseball is an unnatural motion, right? Right. Um, It's not something you can do well into your 40s unless you are the 1%, like an Owen Ryan, like a Gaylord Perry. I mean, there's just very few examples, and there's some, But most people are done by thirty-five. That's the reality of baseball. I just don't see, with the mileage he has on him from Japan um, and what we've seen so far in his major league career, that he's a guy that's going to hold up for an entire season. And the Angels, if they were smart, and again, this is the team that gave Albert Pujols a ten-year contract that's paying him into his fifties, evidently. Uh, Not as bad as Bobby Bonilla's contract, which will still pay him.
0: Still being paid, yeah
2: decades from now, Um, let him pitch, let him hit, but just pick one because I think his body would have time to recover. Um, His body would have time to be what it could be rather than let's have this freak show that ultimately doesn't win games. And that's where that's the status he's in right now. He's freak show. Great thing to watch. And And you look at Twitter last night as he was going through the first few innings Um, Is comment after comment about this guy's special this guy's incredible so much fun to watch but how much fun is it to watching him sitting on the bench because he's hurt half more than half the time so far in his major league career
0: yeah there was even a lot of national writers saying that even with his pitch count he should have been out before the collision at the plate um he is Andy Tom Cheston this is Goodwood we will be back next week to see what's going on in Major League Baseball
1: on deck, the Let's Get To interview.
0: So we are super excited to welcome to Let's Get To, Hannah Hughesman. She serves as the mental skills coach for the Philadelphia Phillies. She earned a Master of Science degree in sports psychology and motor behavior from the University of Tennessee, Go Volunteers, focusing on improving performance against, amongst athletes of all different ages. She's a certified mental performance coach. She's also a former two-sport division athlete in both basketball and softball. Hannah, thanks so much for jumping on the Let's Get Two.
3: Hey, thanks for having me today.
0: And we have baseball back. How cool
3: is yes, that? Yes, we do. It's amazing.
0: It's <laughs> yeah. I watched way I, I sort of went into this because I'm an, as you could tell, an Astros fan. So it's a little weird for us right now. Um <laughs> I kind of went in going, I'm just gonna watch a few games and ended up watching all four. It was nuts.
3: Yeah, yeah. I know. It's so exciting. It's, it feels like a small piece of normalcy is kind of getting back into place. Like, now that baseball's back, the world can go back to normal.
0: <laughs> I agree, and and I think by the end of the season, it'll be just like it was. Um, Tell me a little bit about you, though. How did you get into baseball in the first place, and then also working as a mental skills coach?
3: Yeah, so um, I guess I'll start with how I became a mental skills coach, because then it kind of trickles into how I got into the world of baseball. But um, so I was, like you said, I was a student athlete my whole life. So I kind of always knew I wanted to stay in sports. Um, I just didn't really know to what capacity. And so I thought I was going to be a coach for a really long time. I actually went to school. My undergrad was in exercise science. I thought I was going to be a strength and conditioning coach for a long time. Um, and just started exploring options and realized none of them are really like lighting my soul on fire basically. And I've always okay. been really passionate about wanting to do something that I love day in and day out. And it was actually my, senior year of college. Um, I took an elective class in sports psychology, like, you know, last semester, like wasn't thinking anything of it. And I was like, what the heck is this? Why have we never heard about it? And how can I learn everything about this subject? Um, and selfishly was mad. I didn't get to have that during my career. You know, we had, you know, a few series left and that was it. And I was like, this, how come I didn't hear about this my freshman (laughs) year? Um, and so that's what led me to UT to explore more. And I got my master's in sports Psych and motor behavior, which is really cool. Cause it was like taking my undergrad knowing the body and then adding the mind into it. So figuring out how the mind and the body work together to produce optimal performance, which is what I do. And, and so I actually graduated from there and, um, applied for my first internship after grad school. I did a couple during grad school, but after grad school was with the Pittsburgh pirates. Um, and I ended up landing that job. And that's kind of how my, I got my foot in the door with baseball. Um, and then from there I went and worked in New York city for a private practice for about a year and a half and then from there I was like dang I miss baseball I miss being a part of a team and something bigger than me you know and started looking for baseball opportunities and had an opportunity with the Phillies and this is my fourth year with them so that's kind of my background
0: and we have a lot of Philly fans that listen to the show and and I think they're hoping you've worked with the bullpen but I, I think they're going to be better this year um
3: <laughs> yeah there's been some changes I think yeah. Philly fans are already really excited
0: I think they should be and I think yeah. you know I think, right now everybody just about should be excited, but yeah, they, I think they really should be, um, you know, Yogi Berra said, uh, baseball's 90% mental. Is that true?
3: Um, I guess it depends on who you ask, but I'm going to say yes, Yeah, (laughs) because I just, you know, you work so hard physically for your mind to fail you, you know? And it's like, how are we working on our mind, right? What are we doing to make sure just as hard as we're working physically, we're working that hard mentally and we're not neglecting that. And, I think it, I think it sometimes appears that it's 90% of the game because when your mind fails you, it's really hard to combat that. When your body fails you, there may be ways around it a little bit here and there, but when your mind fails you, it's really hard to overcome that. You have to have the skills and the routines and the knowledge of how to overcome that. And so even if it's not literally 90%, it may affect 90% of your game. If your mind isn't where it needs to be. I mean, you, I mean, theoretically, any, any sport, right. Any, any performance, like there's always a physical component, but there's also a huge mental component. And I think it's the one we tend to neglect. And so that's why I think it can feel like 90% sometimes.
0: Are we still, it's weird because I come, I asked this question coming from not just a guy who does a baseball show because he loves it, but I'm also a military veteran with combat experience. Mm -hmm. And so I dealt with that stuff as well. Are we still at a spot where, is there a stigma to admit that I need some help with my mental health or are we
3: getting past that? Great question. Um, I think there's a little of both. Uh, and I think it's something that we fight constantly on a daily basis, you know, and like first and foremost, there's a difference between mental performance and mental health. So mental health is your, you know, clinical anxiety, depression, eating disorders, OCD, AD, all that stuff, even suicidality, right? Mental performance is motivation, composure, concentration, focus, resiliency, even enjoyment. Right. So I think the stigma of mental health in general is still there. I think it's gotten significantly better because you've had pro athletes and famous people, you know, really setting that platform on social media to, to accept mental health and, and to really make it a part of your performance and of your daily life and, and like accepting that that's what's going on with you. Um, and I still think we have to fight that a little bit in the mental performance world too. It's like, you know, you, the, the running joke is you only go talk to the mental performance coach when everything's going wrong, right? And the reality of it is like, I view mental performance as proactive and not reactive. Right. Because if you wait for you know what to hit the fan, it's almost too late. You don't have a skill to pull out of your back pocket. Yeah. But if yeah. we can talk about failures or setbacks or even when you're performing really well and your confidence is really high, how do you respond to that? Then when you're in that situation, you already have the tools that you need. Um, One of my favorite analogies is, you know, back way back when, when you talk about the dentist, right? People only went to the dentist when their teeth were falling out, right? And now somebody had the brilliant idea to go two times a year, every six months (laughs) to get cleanings before they started falling out. And that's kind of like how I view mental performance is like, you guys know we don't have to wait till we're like failing or in a slump or you know, whatever it is on the verge of like, like getting released or, or quitting or, or being done with our career. We can work on this early to, to elongate that career and keep you here and healthy and performing at your best before we even have to deal with those things. So, um, but it is, we are constantly working on it just because it's been like that for so long and, and look down upon, you know, it's just like, figure it out be mentally tough. Right. And, and now we have people in place to actually teach that and to educate them and coach them on that. Um, so I think it's always going to be there. Um, but I think it's gotten a whole heck of a lot better. And I know here we, we really pride ourselves in making it a part of the culture and it's not something you do at the end of the day, or it's not something you just go talk to them when you're struggling. Like sometimes we, sometimes guys are doing great and we want to talk. Why are things going great? Are you creating awareness around things and, and why they're going great? So, um, it's super important. And, and I think it's all in, the culture that you create around the importance of mental performance.
0: It does seem to, um, I think baseball is different for a lot of reasons, but I think to your point in in a baseball game, you play every day. Mm -hmm. It's hard to fix a thing while the thing is happening every day. It's not football where you have a week off. Mm -hmm. It it does seem like being proactive is the key to staying mentally sharp.
3: Yeah. And I mean, we can't have a tool for every single thing we're going to face, right? We can't predict that. But you can have a solid base of tools in your toolbox that you can you can use some sort of combination of those tools to at least get you through what you're going through. And then maybe when the offseason rolls around is when you can really hit it hard and work on something, but at least you're equipped to, to manage and get through whatever it is you're going through just then. But yeah, you're absolutely right.
0: When it comes to baseball, I mean, especially having experience playing both softball and basketball. So there's a, a comparison there. Does the individual and team mix of baseball make it more difficult? Like, yes, it's a team game, but it's also one athlete facing another athlete with sort of all eyes on them. Does that add a level of, of pressure to the, to the process?
3: Yeah, I, I would say yes. You know, I mean, because it's almost like an additional pressure, right? If you're, if you're playing a predominantly team sport, it's kind of like, Hey, we're all in this together. If we all fail, we all fail. If you're playing an individual sport, you're like, Hey, it's all on me. If I fail, I fail. And then baseball is like this unique, individual game within a team game. And so now you not only want to let your, don't want to let yourself down, but you don't want to let your team down. Right. And so I do think it probably is an added stressor. Um, and it's interesting too, because you're trying to be the best you can be, but you're also trying to be the best you can be for the team. So it's just kind of, everything's like double fold and, and there's always two sides to that. Um, but I think it's safe to say it's, it's a little more pressure than, than maybe a single sport or like a predominantly team sport for sure.
0: When you're working with an athlete, uh, how much is it one size fits all? Or how much is it really learning that athlete and learning what they respond to? I mean, I'm imagining stretching a hamstring. Hamstring is stretching a hamstring. But working with someone's mental sharpness, how much of it is really individualized to the person you're working with?
3: Almost all of it. Um, I love that question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that question. I'm very impressed by that. Um, I, I think it's all individualized. You know, we talk all the time. There is not a cookie cutter approach on how you become confident or how you handle nerves or what routines work for you in order to be in the bed, best headspace to go perform. It's all individual. And that's the cool part. And one of my favorite parts of the job is getting to know the player first as a human being and then helping them as a player. Because if I don't know who you are as a human being, then it's going to be really hard for me to help you as a player because who you are as a person, a hundred percent affects who you are as a baseball player. And even if you have an alter ego, when you go play, like that's still affecting it in some way, shape or form. Um, so it's it's definitely getting to know the player. It's a lot of trial and error, figuring out what works for them, what's worked for them in the past may not even work for them right now. Right. And, and right. so it, it's challenging. It's like we have multiple ways for a player to build confidence. Right. And it's up to us to figure out, OK, here's what we think will help. Try this and see if it works. OK, didn't work. Try this. Try that. Or maybe we nail it on the first time, but it's definitely individualized and, and trying to combine that person and player um, component of it.
0: How um, entrenched is this in, in the sports sport of baseball? Like, are y'all working with minor leaguers all the way up? Is it a program? Are all teams doing it? Or are the Phillies one of the few it's one of those areas. I was very interested to even learn about you because I've heard about pretty, pretty much all level of preparation in, in mm-hmm. baseball, particularly being an Astros fan from like sort of the nerd rooms of all the guys with the computers. But <laughs> this seems like something different. Is it something that Phillies are kind of one of the first, or is it something that's replicated through most of the other MLB teams?
3: Yeah. Almost all MLB teams have mental performance coaches. Um, and it ranges from somebody who is kind of contracted out, right? So they may not be full time with the club, but they may come in and out on, on occasion to people having seven or eight full-time staff members in their mental performance department so at the Phillies um we have five right now so and we're all the way across the board from the Dominican uh from our Dominican summer leagues all the way to the big leagues so um yeah we we cross we cover the whole um spectrum of minor leagues and major leagues so I do think I do think baseball is leading professional sports um, and mental performance I think Um, basketball is probably leading in mental health, NBA. Um, I know hockey's picking up mental performance. I know NFL is dabbling in mental performance. I know a couple coaches who work in the NFL. Um, but I think, I think baseball is really the sport that has truly like, truly believed in the value of mental performance coaching and investing in it. And, um, I honestly want to say there's a rule that they have to have some kind of a mental performance coach. I know they have to have mental health Person, which we have a mental health person too, um, but I think almost every club has to have a mental performance coach too, even if it's just um, contracted out. But yeah, every team has one, um, and it then it just depends. Like,
0: like, sorry, sorry, continue. I'm sorry.
3: No, it just depends on if, if it's one or if it's nine. You know,
0: it does seem like baseball would need that the most because it is the sport where you know they talk about it, right? Steady heartbeat the whole time. You can't. It's the sport where emotion very rarely plays a role like you can see a, a basketball player get fired up and take a game over but you know in baseball it's almost like if you try too hard it doesn't work it does seem like that would be the edge that really could put a team over the top
3: yeah and I think I think also in baseball you have so much downtime like right? you have so much time to just think right in football okay. you don't have any time to think basketball you don't have any time to think it's like read and react read and react read, react constantly but in baseball <laughs> you have in between innings you have when you're not hitting you have when you're in the field right and, and there hasn't been a ball hit to you like you get one or two balls hit to you a game right it, roughly right so there's so much time to like you know we call it like dome up like get in your own head um and so I think that's why too because like say you have an at-bat that you struggled with or you didn't perform the way you wanted to perform you're thinking about that at-bat for probably the next hour until you get another at-bat right and so it's yeah. like how can you handle that be on the field do all of those things and still be able to perform, like still be able to catch a fly ball or make a play in the infield or whatever it is, even though you just failed ethically at the plate, right? And not letting that carry over. So I think there's just a lot of downtime, which is why I think you can get in your head and and start to believe those those negative thoughts that creep in.
0: You know, you talked about this being your calling and you took the class in college. So what is your favorite part of it? Is it working with young minor leaguers? Is it getting to you know, work with veterans who maybe are open to a new style of thinking, which part really kind of just makes you go home and and feel like you've put in a good day's work.
3: That's a really good question. I think one of my favorite parts is when guys have this like aha moment where they're like, Oh my God, like that thing we talked about, I played really good today because of it, or I've been playing really good or I changed this or I did this or I made this adjustment. It's almost seeing them buy in right in front of your face because some of them listen and believe in it and go apply it. But when they like, you know, when they buy in and they're like, okay, this is actually something I need to make a part of my daily routine. And I'm like, heck yes. Like my job, my job is just beginning in that moment, but mental performance is weird because you can't really force mental performance on anybody, right? If you're not ready to hear mental performance then like, I can't force you to practice mindfulness or force you to set goals or do any of those things I could, but it would, I could actually do more, harm than good um, so it's when we've had these conversations we've set this relationship we've set the standard they trust you they decide to try something that you've talked about and then they buy in and they come they come running in the door the next day or they've talked to somebody and somebody they talked to you mentioned something we talked about and like there's all different ways that guys buy in but I think officially seeing them like realize like that light bulb of wow this is actually really important and I know I need to make this a part of my daily routine like to me that's that's all I can ask for is for them to buy into what we're doing. And then they kind of take it from there and we get to play with things and and, and um, implement new, new concepts and all that. But seeing them buy in is, is definitely a good feeling.
0: Well, I am actually super excited that um, I came across you on Twitter. I've been watching your mental health Monday videos when you post them. And it's weird because, you know, I, in my past life I I was a combat veteran and yet going to throw out a first pitch and I'm incredibly nervous but your videos have been helping so I really really appreciate it
3: I love it I'm glad you tune in
0: and she is Hannah Huseman she is the one of the mental skills coach for the Philadelphia Phillies Hannah thanks so much for jumping on Let's Get to and good luck this season
3: yeah you're so welcome thanks for having me
1: who's on first the Let's Get to Local 9 brought to you by Zoomer
0: Sports all right, we are jumping into, let's get to you with super good friend of the show, Tyler Stan. Tyler, the GM of the Sugarland Skeeters, his position hasn't changed a lot, but he's gone from GM, commissioner of a, of, a, of a mini league, to now GM of a AAA franchise. Tyler, how are you doing?
4: I am doing good. It has been a crazy 365 days, man. I mean, from pandemic, like you said, doing the Constellation Energy League, Uh, knocking that out, all the cool stuff we were able to do last summer, then Mm -hmm. jumping into affiliating with the Astros, becoming the AAA franchise, and now we're a big construction zone, uh, redoing quite a bit of the ballpark and giving it a facelift. It's been a very crazy year. But doing good, we're hanging in there.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, you know, I know, like, it it feels like it's all getting back to normal. I know people are getting vaccinated. The teams are getting vaccinated. It's just – it's going to be awesome. I want to talk a little bit about the construction first because you're the guy to talk to because, you know, a big part of this whole contraction thing was that they needed to bring facilities up to a level in which if you draft a player and pay him 10 million bucks, you want him to play in. And most of the contacts we have, the the, 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 the parks aren't having to be drastically renovated. What are the Astros doing? Because, and, and I know they're not turning the field blue people with no sense of humor. Um, <laughs> Although, uh, but talk about just what all is gone because I've seen the construction pic, uh, pictures. It looks like it's going to be a whole new place.
4: Yeah, so I mean, it's uh, a lot of what we're doing though. Honestly, just follows MLB guidelines. So basically, every uh, they call us the 120 for all the affiliates. Uh, we basically have about three years to get to a certain point, and it's ten points. So there's this massive. It's about six page rubric and it goes line by line. There's hundreds of lines and. Um, certain penalties for if you don't have this, you get docked this many points. And and so the target is 10 points. And it looks like based on everything that we're doing and all the renovations we're making downstairs, from the jump, we'll be at about five points, which is good forever. Um, Obviously, we'll be tweaking and taking care of the place accordingly, but we won't have to, it doesn't look like we'll have to go through any major, you know, like adding the female locker room. I mean, that's an important piece of it's a 10 point deduction. So when we're Redoing downstairs that's something that we added um, that we didn't have before, um, but a lot of the pieces that we're adding are are truly mandated by MLB yeah,
0: and I think um, I think it's interesting too, because at least with you guys, my heart goes out to some of these like very downtown ballparks without room to grow. You' all at least mm-hmm. had some real estate to
4: grow if you needed to sure, I mean we, we really could. Um, we actually didn't end up going really outside of our walls. Uh, we did everything. In our in our existing tunnel, so that went well. Uh, we will grow outwards, you know, in, in grounds. Like for example, a lot of our grounds area is now going to be the batting cages, so okay. we had to grow outwards there. So we're we're getting creative, but um, all in all, downstairs we had a very large tunnel because um, our batting cages took up a lot of that space. So we were able to grow into that old space. We added about sixty five hundred square feet of usable space downstairs. Added a kitchen. Um, we used to, our athletic training room and our weight room used to be one kind of small room. Now they're separate areas. Um, it's a 1200 square foot weight room. It's a nice, huge space. Um, the visitor's locker room improved. We didn't really have any dining room for them. Um, now they have like a little kitchenette, their own dining spot. So they have a good kind of hangout where they didn't before. Um, the entire tunnel now is going to be climate controlled, which in July in Sugarland in a tunnel. It got pretty toasty, but now it'll yeah. be 70 degrees all the time. So it's it's getting way, way better, uh, yeah. and we're excited.
0: Let's talk about the, what, what part will the fans see? Um, how will it be different for people that are used to going to see Swatson in the gang? How will it feel different? What kind of improvements
4: will we see in that perspective? So a lot of – most of the improvements are aesthetic. Um, you know, like we painted the foul poles astro-orange. It's awesome. Right. When you walk in, there's just the big staple Astro's orange color. Uh, yeah. we have nets all the way around the bowl. Uh, that's something that I wanted to do. Um, previously we just didn't have the funds for it, but now that's a big priority. It'll cover every single, um, seat in the lower bowl. Good. Uh, and, uh, we're redoing the restrooms, which were majorly due for an upgrade. Um, and just a refresh. So those will be much cleaner. Um, we're put, putting a lot of paint up, you know, where it's just old. It's uh, 10 years, you know, it's time for painting. It's time for just those kind of um, touch-ups and that we're doing a lot of that. So it will look very clean, crisp. Uh, we're adding all new premium seats. Um, our, our normal field box seats are in really good, great shape right now as it is. So we didn't really have to touch those, just light repairs. Um, but the premium downstairs and upstairs seats need some help. Um, so those are going to be all brand new. Um but really, that's that's kind of it. We're adding a – also, I don't know if you've seen it, but in right center, we're adding a bullpen patio. It's a field-level suite. Yes. Um, so I'm pretty stoked about that. We haven't had a new like part of the ballpark since I've gotten here. So, yeah. And it's going to be a new destination. So that's exciting, and fans should look forward to that.
0: Um, one of the questions that I'm getting from one of my producers – actually, I got it before he came on. And <laughs> I know it's frustrating your social media team, but I have to ask. When can we order fifty nine fifties?
4: We actually got them
0: in today. How do they are they sharp? The, I'll tell you what. They look the, great. The SL looks sharp.
4: Yeah, they're they're here. So we're going to open up the team store. We were going to open up this week. We just didn't have any new. Our merch didn't make it in yet, so it yeah. didn't really make sense to you know say come on to this new store. And we have all of our just old merch. Yeah. Uh, now we'll have a good in, integration of new merch and old merch uh, when we open next week um, here in the middle of April. One of the things uh,
0: you guys were way ahead of last year um, was the COVID thing. I think I told you offline, you and Round Rock, I think, set the standard for how baseball can work uh, in a pandemic. So looking at it going forward, um, do you have a plan how we're going to start? Are you, do you have plans for how things can get more and more open? Or, I mean, how, how thought out is this? And, and where is it going to look like at the beginning of May when you finally get back into town?
4: So, the the crazy part about this is it's still, even now, a year later, it's so fluid. Um, It's changing all the time. I mean, one week, it's, hey, we're going to be at 25% capacity, and we're going to have this and that and that. And then the next, it's, hey, you can retract this. And now we're hearing, you know, at the major league level, if 85% of your players get vaccinated, this will come off, you know, things will be. So we're, we're planning in the background for everything like you and I have talked about. Um, Like we're planning on, Hey, here's full COVID protection at all times. And then we're also planning for, Hey, what does it look like if it's relaxed? Um, You know, right now we have plans to have plexiglass uh, because that's part of an MLB mandate with buffer zones um, from the players and the fans. Um, But I haven't ordered it yet because I'm just waiting to see like, if I'm going to go spend X amount of thousands of dollars on plexiglass You know, I'm just waiting to see. I mean, so we're going to have, we're going to be ready for whatever um, is mandated, but it's just changing all the time. And we're always getting notices. Hey, now you're good to do what the state says now. Nope. Let's retract. And it's, it's a major league baseball mandate. So it's just trying to figure out the happy medium, I guess. Yeah. And you know,
0: um, I'm sorry, correct me if I'm wrong. Remind me again, how many were at constellation last year for the constellation energy was about 10%. Is that what y'all were letting in?
4: No, so our max capacity last year was twenty five okay. six, I think it was, if we sold every seat available.
0: Okay, so at a minimum, we're starting there, and then hopefully July comes around, and Fauci's saying full, full, full sure. stadiums by the end of June. Um, and I will say this again, another big compliment to how you and your team handled the pandemic. We traveled all over the country, as you know. Y'all were the only ones who did promotional giveaways. Everybody else sort of took that back. Um, And that leads to the question of one of the teams that does promos better than just about any, you can't see it in the shop, but my framed Swatson Jaws poster is on the wall. Um, What can we, what are we looking forward to this year? Do we have an answer on that yet?
4: So it's still being finalized uh, and I wish I had spoilers. I just don't. Um, I've been so honestly, so swamped with production and making sure everything's getting open. I've been kind of out of the loop on marketing, but I know we're going to be doing um, our standard, Lots of giveaways, uh, you know, every Saturday, um, there's going to be a giveaway, uh, that whole first homestand to the first 2000, um, every single night. So things are getting even probably beefier than they are, um, or than, than they were. So um, fans can expect a pretty normal experience minus the, um, you know, mask mandate will probably be in place. Um, sure. That's going to be stricter than what we had uh, last year. Last year, we said if you were socially distanced in your seat, you could remove. Um, now it's an MLB mandate that once you're in your seat, if you're not eating or drinking, even in your in your seat, you got to have a mask on. So, again, that's something that could totally change between now and our first game. But um, it's really going to – people who came to a Constellation Energy League, Energy League game, it's going to be very similar. Um, a lot of the mandates, you know, I don't know if we were the trendsetters or not. I doubt it. Um, but a lot of what we did is already in place.
0: Get, no, definitely pat yourselves on the back. Again, uh, you and Round Rock did a lot of – everything you had different ideas executed and landed in the same spot. We had baseball back largely due to y'all's efforts and y'all did it better than just about anybody. Um, so definitely you should call that a win. Um, you know, one of the questions I want to ask about was working with the Astros because you mm-hmm. have been, you know, before you're independent, anything goes, has it been sort of fun to, to get to talk to them and, and have ideas to how to make things better and more fan friendly and fun. Um, you know, somebody else to bounce ideas off of.
4: For sure. I mean, I think the biggest difference is, um, you know, and there's nothing wrong with, with being a mom and pop, but we were a mom and pop and, you know, a lot of things that we did, it was just kind of bounced off internally, um, you know, and let's just kind of make a, a plan decision and go with it. And now, you know, even when the few days I've been up at Minute Maid Park, I mean, there's just, you know, decades worth of, you know, policies, that work. And it's just a much more corporate feel. They've got, you know, just things are just really buttoned up and not to say that we weren't buttoned up before because we were, but in, in just a magnified way. And it's been really helpful. I mean, down to the way they run, um, lost and found like, Whoa, what are we yeah. should we be doing it like that, you know, um, yeah. way they do egress and, uh, you know, getting people into the building and it's just, it's been really awesome just to have these question marks that we have always had. Like, Hey, this is like 90%. We'd like to see it improve. They're like, Oh, just do this. And it's like, wow, that's a great idea. So um, I think the coolest, absolute coolest part so far is that everybody over there that I've worked with um, is just so passionate about the game. Um, They're passionate about the business of baseball Um, and they're just excited to just integrate with us, and we're excited to integrate with them. It's just been, it's been fun uh, working with people who are just as equally passionate about something as I am. Um, That's been my favorite part so far.
0: Well, last question then, Um, you know, your home opener, uh, remind me again, your home opener date?
4: It is May 20th against El Paso.
0: May 20th, the Chihuahuas come to town. Hey, Chihuahuas. my dog Quint ate ate my Chihuahua's ball cap yesterday. I think that That definitely is a good harbinger of, of good things to come. I'm really upset by that, by the way. Um, what are you looking forward the most when, when the, when the, when, you know, the the final out gets recorded, how will you know you did a good job? What are you looking forward to? Cause I know you love this game so much. What is the thing you're the most, you're, you're most excited about?
4: I think it's the same as always, man. It's just, you know, people leaving the ballpark smiling and having a good time. I mean, that's, that's really why we do this. Um, I was telling somebody yesterday, I mean, I went to get my taxes done. I know this is boring, but, um, the woman, you know, she said, Hey, you work for the Sugarland Skeeter. So what do you do there? Are you an usher? Are you, and I was like, Oh no, I'm the general manager of the team. And of course she was embarrassed. I was like, don't be embarrassed. It's all good. Good question. But then she got to ask about, she said, did you guys have the constellation energy league? Are you guys AAA with the Astros now? Is that what I heard? Um, and just, you know, I know it sounds so stupid because we're, we're fun. Like we're not a, a necessity. Um, yeah that we're able to bring smiles to people's faces and she you know she got to get out of the house and go to this baseball game um, and watch a team managed by Roger Clemens last year when there's all this chaos in everybody's life um, it just brings purpose to the job man you know Um, and uh, that's really what I'm looking for just just people walking out of the game baseball's back smiling great night see you all tomorrow that's that's I'd be a happy camper if that's happening
1: Ladies and gentlemen, please adjust your scorecards. We have a special guest in the lineup. All right, we are joined by, and in, in he's a familiar face on the show back when he was a high
0: school ball player, but now he's playing for the Southwestern Pirates, Alex Canada, or actually, as he says on his uh, his uh, bio, Alexander Canada. I guess you got big time on us. Is that what, is that what happened?
5: <laughs> yeah, that's what happened.
0: <laughs> all right, let's talk a little bit of college ball, man. First of all, um... How much fun are you having?
5: It's it's a lot of fun. I mean, with COVID and everything and no fans at the very beginning of the season, it was a little weird. I mean, obviously we saw like the MLB did it all of last season except for the last few postseason series, yeah. but it was a little weird at first because it was just like felt like you were just scrimmaging, but the games actually counted. And yeah. But uh the energy in the dugout, the uh being around guys who are all the best players at their high school, more than likely has just been, it's been a lot of fun. And to get an opportunity to play too a little bit this season has been great. Well, I wanted to talk to you
0: about that because you're, you're, I've heard this from other college freshmen that it's a little backlogged, right? Like there's, because of the way they handled COVID and giving people extra eligibility, are you finding yourself really just having time to really learn your craft without necessarily
5: being thrown into games yet? I am. So Our we have a lot of depth here and it's been good. We have one of our catchers is a fifth year senior who came back after last year. And so learning from him and especially playing games because I was thrown in during our conference opener, that mm-hmm. series that we had. And so just learning from him and being able to take his advice has been really good. And I think it's not more of a, there's more competition type thing. It's more of you get better learning experiences from the older guys. And so you've had some
0: offensive uh, success already. Six RBIs, according to the website. Uh, getting that first hit, um, load off or just a blast? Which was it?
5: Um, a mix of the two. I mean, it was kind of weird because my first two college ABs, I didn't see a strike until the count was 3-0. So I was auto-take and then I got walked. So, I mean – it was a little. It was a little weird, but uh, getting that first hit felt really good, and all the support from the dugout was amazing that weekend. I, I imagine it was funny watching uh, the
0: Astros Chas McCormick get his first hit and making sure everybody got the ball back to him. What a again! Again, I had to imagine like, okay, you know, you've got the first one, so now you've got four years left of getting of getting base hits before the next level.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot of fun.
0: Now, one of the things we've covered a lot on the show, and I was curious um, with with what you found out about it, like do you plan on playing summer ball this year or is that something that's open to freshmen?
5: So this year I'm probably not going to pursue summer ball just to work a little bit more and uh, just the, just need to earn a little bit more money for next yeah. year. Yeah. But uh, sophomore year or summer after sophomore year, I'm definitely thinking about it because – like our head coach has connections and so do our some of assistant coaches. So that's definitely something I'm looking into.
0: Yeah. And you definitely need to let us know where, and we'll plan a trip up because that's some of my favorite kind of baseball on the planet. Mm -hmm. So um, wrapping down the conference schedule, um, you guys are right around 500. Um, How has it been just your first year going back to, you know, fall practice? I know we messaged a bunch about that and just like, seeing the end of year one in sight, are you already ready
5: for year two to get started? Um, You know, it's been a wild ride because in the fall, uh, Southwestern, and I think most of D3, didn't have any sports, no games. Yeah. So all 20 sports teams here are playing at the same time. And wow. um, the fall, we didn't have a lot of practices. We didn't actually start ramping up until November. Thanksgiving hit. And then we weren't allowed back on campus until the spring. So it was crazy. And then all of a sudden our season was here and we're more than halfway through and it's April 5th. Yeah. So it's been a lot. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say like, I'm excited. Well, I'm obviously excited for year two to come, but I'm excited to see where this year takes us. Cause we've had a lot of ups and downs this year, opening our season with a four game series against Trinity was really tough. Uh they're still number one in the nation right now for D three. So it's been a lot, but um we're excited to see where it takes us and we're just hoping for that top four finish so we can compete for a conference championship.
0: Yeah and you know to that end, right? Like was there a learning or is there a learning curve for you? Um you were at the top of your game at St. Michael's but now all of a sudden like you said not only are you playing with the best players in your high school but you're playing against the best players in their high school. How big of a jump in competition has it been?
5: Um, I'd say the past couple weekends, it's been fairly neutral. But watching the guys play against Trinity and TLU, who are two of the top dogs in our conference, yeah, um, it's, it's hard. Like, you have guys who have transferred from D1s that play and pitch for Trinity, same thing with TLU. And so just seeing all the different combinations of kids – um, at these schools, it's it's interesting, but it's also difficult to get used to.
0: I guess one of the things too, like, t- give us a glimpse. And this is not your this is not your last appearance for the season. Like, we're we're we really are planning on having you on, you know, once a month. And I know we we sort of got jammed up the for, for your first couple appearances, but like the, a look into the eye of the student athlete. Like, are you able to kick back and watch Yankee games? And we all know you're a big Yankee fan. Or is is it really? Books in baseball for you right now, twenty
5: four seven. Um, I'd say it's books in baseball, and then you just got whatever game, whatever game's on TV. You got it on in the background, and you peek up a couple times. Yeah.
0: Um. Okay. Well, let's let's do that for the last minute or so. Um, you're obviously you play baseball. You know this game is a grind. Tell me you're not jumping off any bridges over the one and two start.
5: No. Good. No. Yeah. I mean. The fact that uh, King could go six innings scoreless, 16 straight retired against the Blue Jays, gives me some optimism I haven't had about our pitching staff the past couple of years. Uh, Offensively, we have one of the best lineups, and I have no doubt they'll figure it out. I mean, it's professional baseball. It's not going to be easy from day one. Yeah, unless you're playing in Houston, apparently. (laughs) Yeah.
0: They mashed. They did. Yeah. You know, Alex, 15, 17, 19, 21. That's how the Yankees season ended in the year 15, 17, and 19 every other year. I think I'm going to send you home sad this year, buddy.
5: I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Maybe 17 we shouldn't have gone home sad. Oh, come on. I knew it.
0: I knew when I brought this up, that's what you were going to do. I knew it. Uh, I knew it. Unseal the Yankee letter, bro. Let us see it.
5: Oh, hey, until it comes out, I don't know what you're talking about. No,
0: no, no. He's Alex <laughs> Kanata, great friend of the show, playing for the, George, the Southwestern Pirates in Georgetown, Texas. We're going to do a couple of live reports from there. Alex, thanks for jumping on, man.
5: Thank you for having me.
1: Go, go, Astros, go, go Astros. a focus on H Town hardball. All right, so we're
0: actually having Andy in back because it's go-go Astros. And now we're recording this about two or three days before the episode drops, Andy. So let's put ourselves in the mindset and ignore the fact that the Astros will again start um, with a two-game series with the Angels. Let's talk about why we should be excited about a four-game demolishing of the Oakland Athletics and then why we shouldn't get too over our skis about it allowing for the fact that it's also only 2.5% of the season.
2: Well, I mean, the first part of your question is the easiest part. And let me start off by saying so glad that you let me come back to go, go Astros after I've been managed for, you know, since last season. Promoted, but yes. (laughs) No, whatever your, your words. (laughs) Um, It's great to be back Uh, with the Astros. um, I, you could not have asked for a better opening ser- better result for an opening series. A four-game series in Oakland is always going to be tough uh, to the point that they haven't been swept in a four-game series since I think 2015, if I remember right. It's been five, six years, and the last team to do it, of course, was Houston. Um, it also exercises a lot of the ghosts from last year's regular season where rightfully the A's absolutely owned the Astros. Um, They weren't games like this series. All those games last season were very close and ultimately the playoffs showed a different team coming out of Houston. But during the regular season for the first time in a while, the A's really, really dominated uh, Houston, even without the help of Mike Fires, who, you know, still unavailable.
0: Where in the world is Mike Fires? I don't know. I don't know why they're paying him.
2: Probably somewhere near a team club if I'm reading Twitter correctly. Um, Anywho. So you have a team come in. The Astros uh, have fairly low expectations around them from the national media. The A's had middling expectations trying to figure out what they were going to be. But they were looked to be two fairly matched teams. And the Astros came in and dominated them, I think, to the tune of 35 to 9, 35 to 8 from a run differential. Um, 35 to 8, yeah. Yeah, coming in and sweeping um, the A's and doing it in such a way that there was no doubt. There was not one time uh, past the fifth inning when those games were within four runs of each other. And I think the other thing you saw from the A's that's going to be really concerning for them um, is that their bullpen is not good. Uh, they lost their they lost their closer, and I think their bullpen has something like a 54-57 ERA now after facing the Houston, Houston Astros for four games. So... The great things for Houston are that it's a 4-0 and start. You've got a game-and-a-half lead on the rest of the division. Uh, you're leading baseball and run differential right now. Uh, you're pitching held up well. Uh, nobody went terribly deep, but that's not too concerning for an opening series, especially with the weirdness that Dusty Baker conducts his spring trainings around. Because um, if you look at the stats, I'm not picking on Dusty. It's just completely different. Hinch had his starters ready to go seven. Yeah, by the time the season opened up, when you look at Dusty, they pitched very few innings in spring training relatively. I know there was a lot of backfield work and a lot of simulated games, but in games, they pitched very little um, compared to the AAA staff and compared to the bullpen guys, because that's where the question marks were. So they'll work up to a six, seven inning start. I I believe I think that's you know ultimately where the goal is. Um, it's so weird to say that it's not the goal to finish games anymore because that's just not a thing in baseball in 2021. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's weird for Dusty because he l- plays baseball in 1975. So you know you'd think it might be a little bit different. Maybe Hank Aaron told him something. There was
0: actually a Hank Aaron quote in his press conference. I can't remember what it was, but he made a he made a Hank Aaron reference. Um, now, uh, why why shouldn't we get what concerned you? L- l- listen, I mean I had some things that concerned me. What were some things that concerned you? Uh, from the series well
2: I think one of the things to you know continue my thought from just a second ago the A's look like um hammered dog poo poo um for a good part of the series so I don't know that we you know got their best effort I'd like to think so but I think you I think it's a little bit like a spring training game um or a spring spring football game where our offense looked incredible well that means your defense wasn't great um I don't know how to evaluate the A's yet because they're different than they were last year. They have some of the same, you know, they have Chapman, they have Kana, uh, they have some of their guys, but they just didn't look good. Um, and a lot of that was bullpen, their starting pitching didn't hold up, uh, their hitters didn't look like they knew what they uh had at the plate. And uh, I know we're talking about the Astros, but it, it's you know a direct reflection of who you play. Uh Elvis Andrus and Jed Lowry are a definite downgrade. Um from what the A's had in their middle infield last year. And so that affects a lot of things. So the competition level is something I'm concerned about at this point, because it's hard to tell after one series, are the Astros really that good, or are the A's really that bad, or is the story somewhere in between? Um, When you talk specifically about the Astros though, I think there's a couple of things that kind of stick out for me. Uh, Biggest one, And and I'm, you know, probably going to be guilty of this for for a while this year. Is Miles Straw? Yeah. Um, This is the second year in a row where he's had a really good looking spring, and then come into the season and not done much. And full caveat: this is four games in. (laughs) Right. But I don't necessarily need him to hit the ball. I need him to get on base, uh, especially if he's eight nine in the order. Uh, My bigger concern with Straw is that this. incredible defense that he's supposed to play only works if he's behind the ball. Um, If he's coming up on a ball, that's fantastic. He can flag down anything that's in front of him. He seems to have real problems understanding how to play a ball off the wall to the point that the A's had two triples um, this year, both of which were misplays by straw because he was standing on the warning track. One of them at the base of the wall, while the ball hits, 20 feet up the wall and then bounced correct carom way over his head. Whereas a George Springer, a Jake Marisnick, uh, some other guys that we've seen in recent past that had a better idea of what they were doing uh, would have been 20 feet into the grass to play the bounce. And he didn't seem to understand that. And so now you've got Kyle Tucker coming from right field. And in one of these instances having to flag the ball down because it shot so far over where straw should have been. Yeah. Um, that that's a big concern. And then you compound that with the idea that he's not getting on base. I think he's batting 174, um, So that's a concern for me. The other concern I have is again, four game series, first four games of the season, uh, Carlos Correa didn't do much. And for a guy who is in a contract year,
0: who wants that dirty, making a lot of noise year.
2: about wanting, you know, $300 yeah. million plus, and saying Francisco Lindor's the market, you're going to have to produce better than that. Uh, his defense was fine, but uh, he left a lot of runners on base. Uh, he left a lot of opportunities on uh, let go, um, let go of a lot of opportunities that just
0: he has. To, he has a couple of rally-ending double plays. He hit into yeah.
2: Yeah, he de- he absolutely took the Yuli Guriel role from the last couple of years of just hitting into double plays at the worst possible moments. Um, and it's just – I don't know if he uh, – it was a bad series, and that's most likely what the case is. Yeah. But maybe it's something different. Maybe he's put so much pressure on him that he's, you know, choked, uh, throwing the bit a little bit. Or maybe he's pouting, um, which is another real concern with him because he is fairly hot-tempered. Um so, you know, those two things for me are issues and things that you need to watch. Having said that, they both could hit these next two games in Los Angeles or Anaheim, and the whole world feels better. We're still so young into this season because it is, as you mentioned, 2.5% of the game.
0: Yeah. Well, and I was looking at this road trip going, um, you know, you you hope you're 500 on the road and you hope you um, – get an idea who you are. My two big takeaways were I'm actually not worried about the offense. I think, um, for the most part, outside of a few guys, that A's pitching staff that did dominate is the same staff and some normal Astros killers like Sean Maniah weren't uh, petite, those type of guys get knocked, did get knocked around. What does worry me though, is a deeper lineup doesn't let Lance McCullers or, um, Brooks Raley in the, first, in the first game he appeared in, and um, Javier with all those walks, you don't get let off the hook by getting to face, like you said, Elvis Andrews. You have a deeper lineup to worry about. That is the part of me that's concerned. I mean, part of me thinks also, too, it's early in the season. And to your point, um, they didn't get a lot of innings in the spring. And so maybe this will feel like an extended spring training situation. McCullers clearly figured it out. Um, But I think, I think what I'm buoyed by in all of that is Valdez will be back shorter than later, sooner than later. They're saying now possibly by May and Odorizzi will be back, which means the bullpen just gets better based on that. Um, Before we wrap up though, Belak, how impressive was he?
2: Um, I think you're going to have a real interesting time um, because to your point, Odorizzi comes back next week in theory. Um, And, you know, you're only going to go a month, maybe two at the worst case scenario without Fromber. Uh, Let's see how Garcia does tonight against Anaheim, um, Los Angeles. And I can't even keep track anymore. They're the California angels because that's what I grew up with. Yes, yes. Um, But, you know, how does Garcia perform? Belak has uh, shown he had spots last year where he looked really good. He also looked like a rookie in a lot of other spots. Um, but it's super impressive to throw four and two-thirds innings, um, come out with a win. And th- those, I'm sorry, I said four and two-thirds innings, four and two-thirds perfect innings. Yes. Um, no hits, no base runners. It, it was an incredible performance. Uh, admittedly, against an A's team that was probably pretty frustrated and pretty ready to go home at that point, but uh impressive nonetheless. So you have him. You have Arquidy, who pitched well, ran out of gas. You're going to have these two starters come back. We don't know what Garcia is going to do. You've got, like, six guys potentially for three rotation spots because um, I think Green King and McCullers are fine, but then where do you slot these other guys in? Um, so it's going to be interesting to watch Dusty with a lot of pieces to play with. And to your point, that only makes the bullpen better if Dusty uses them correctly because you brought up Brooks Rayleigh. Uh, how he gets two appearances especially after the first one without having a you know little breather in between those i have no idea because it wasn't like it was a lefty lefty matchup that yeah. you know was we had to play the stats and that's he's our left-handed guy it just literally is dusty goes with feeling when it goes to managing the bullpen and unfortunately when he does that as we saw last year some guys will pitch every day some guys won't pitch for 10 12 days and then they're yeah. thrown into these spots where they're expected to perform. If you have a deep bullpen, there's no reason that Brooks Raley has to go in and, in both of the games that he appeared in.
3: And just and there's certainly no out, reason
2: just because it worked
0: out is not an excuse to make
2: right. Decisions. There's certainly no reason to have him continue to go in after he faces minimum of three batters. If he's struggling like he was in the first outing. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, did we, how long, how long did we see an only Paredes? One game?
0: No, he got twice, and he was wild both games. And I think he is a guy that kind of needs to pitch a little bit more. I mean, he – well, t- to
2: that point, I was actually impressed that they put Presley in on uh, Saturday because Presley is a guy who pitches better when he's tired. Yeah. His sinker sinks more. His slider slides more. That That's just that, – that's the nature of him. And I'm hoping a half a year of familiarity with some of these guys will give Dusty a better feel on – how to use them in different spots. But to this point, we're kind of asking a guy who's been managing for 20-plus years to be different, and I don't know that that works. So I think the bullpen's always going to be an adventure uh, as long as he's manager, but I also think it helps having two guys potentially being pushed out of the rotation to make that bullpen stronger if you're not going to throw them back in AAA so they continue to throw starter innings, which is also a, a, a potential thing. I could absolutely see a Luis Garcia going back to or to Sugarland Land uh, for an extended period of time just to keep him uh, stretched out.
0: Last question, then. One of the things that one of the signings I was very excited about and I think could really be a boost to particularly the back end of the bullpen is Ryan Stanek. Um, outside of what I think is a ridiculous hairdo, what did you see out of him in this weekend? And do you feel the same?
2: It's uh, a very impressive pickup. And I think one of the great things about baseball, um, especially Major League Baseball, if you follow a team for any given time, there's always that bullpen guy that comes out of nowhere, and whether it's a trade, whether it's a, a non roster invitee, uh, that has a great season and goes largely unheralded. Um, Stanek wasn't exactly considered a big pickup when we acquired him, uh, but he's a guy that has Major League experience that seems to know what he's doing and have a purpose when he gets into the game which is important when you're a bullpen guy um, and has filthy stuff and you combine those things and even if it's only for a season having that moment and having a bunch of those kind of moments from your players is how teams win championships so a guy like Ryan Stanek having a great season alleviates a lot of issues and, and forgives a lot of sins in roster construction uh, if it goes well. And so I'm you know, absolutely rooting for the guy. And, and I think it's, I, I think his performance is reproducible uh, out of this first series for a long term during the season, ultimately, you know, be up to him to perform uh, and not get baseballed. And when he does get baseballed, which is part of his history uh, not to freak out about it.
0: Yeah. Well, and also let's not forget, too, Andre Scrub, who threw great in the spring, will also be back uh, probably again sooner than later. So it looks like the the Astros, if they can stay afloat, have reinforcements coming.
2: Yeah, I, I think and the thing that we are going to really miss next year um, is Brent Strom and his ability to communicate with these guys and get them to do things that they have not necessarily done elsewhere in their careers and be successful at it. Andre Scrubb is a great example. He is not a guy that was highly valued as witnessed by the fact that we acquired him for Tyler White. Remember him? No, you don't. And that's yeah. why. Um, Going to be the next second baseman, except he weighs 306 pounds. Um, small detail. But
3: We've Brent Strom is with absolutely
2: a guy that makes these guys better. And I think free agents around the league see that pitchers around the league see that uh so it'll be interesting to see how much of his system survives uh, his retirement after the end of the season or if they can talk him into staying for another year which i'm all for um some um, of that correa money we're not going to spend on strong
0: and let him uh, let him roger clemens it. he doesn't do road games um that's right
2: you just hang out at home we'll build you a place in a
0: yeah <laughs> there you go um First of all, I'm really glad that you're back on GoGo Go Astros. We'll have you back soon. And hey, we got to make a Tyler White's fat joke, and, and it's been a long time since we've done that.
2: Well, that's that's you know, home is where the heart is.
1: Raiders of the Lost Diamond, a look into baseball's past.
0: And we're jumping on to Raiders of the Lost Diamond with Andrew Nelson. Andrew, judging by your attire, can I guess what we're talking about today? Well, Jim, we're going down
6: to your uh, own home state of Texas today to talk about the Beaumont Golden Gators. Okay. The Golden Gators began play in 1983 as the AA affiliate of the San Diego Padres in the Texas League. They took the field at Vincent Beck Stadium, Sporting fantastic white, gold, and green uniforms. Yes. These spectacular uniforms were crowned with a green pillbox hat with three gold stripes, a gold brim and squacho, and a white bee in a golden triangle. Even more impressive than their attire, the 1983 Golden Gators featured Ozzy Guillen at shortstop, John wow. Crockett first base. With
0: both testicles?
6: <laughs> <laughs> i i cannot uh confirm or deny yes. confirm or deny yeah uh guillen hit 295 for the gators and crook hit 341 with 10 home runs and even pitched in two games despite the star power the team only finished with a 68 and 68 record good for second place in their division in 1983 the or sorry 1984 the Golden Gators would rack up an 89-47 and 47 record to lead the Western go. Division of the Texas League. While the 84 team didn't quite have the star power of, of the 83 team, it did include Al Newman, future two-time world champion with the Minnesota Twins, and Lance McCullers, future dad of Lance McCullers Jr. The 1985 Beaumont team would come back down to just over 500, but featured another future member of the Minnesota Twins championship group, Shane Mack. Okay. In 1986, the Golden Gators fell to a losing record for the first time, but sported Sandy Alomar behind the dish at catcher, Joey Cora, brother of Alex Cora, at second base, and Shane Mack once again in the outfield. Unfortunately, the Gators record wasn't the only thing that was declining, and there was an oil bust in 1986, which caused the local economy to falter. The team's owner decided to sell the team to a group that moved them to Wichita, Kansas, where they became the Wichita Pilots.
0: Wichita, forever stealing teams from the state of Texas. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting to me, too, because I don't know why um, there hasn't been an attempt to put a team back there, because as you're going to explain later, the region has a nickname. And so it seems like you would be able to draw on that area. Yeah. They, they had a short-lived independent league team,
6: but beyond that, there, there really hasn't been anything since. Yeah. All right. So we're going to have a new feature of Raiders of the Lost Diamond starting this week. We're going inter- to have a trivia question. Nice. And the, uh, the first person to respond with the correct answer on our
0: YouTube channel. YouTube, interviewed- so if you're a podcaster? It doesn't count. you got to hop over to the YouTube and listen to – and at least leave your answer on the YouTube channel. Get the whole experience. The whole experience. (laughs) (laughs) I got a face made for radio. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, we're trying to get some audience engagement. And I know that this segment's really popular with certain members of our fan base. And I think it would be a lot of fun for them to get the opportunity to interact with us a little bit more.
6: Yeah, definitely. So, uh, first correct response on the YouTube channel gets entered for a drawing. That'll be at the end of the season for a fantastic Let's Get Two prize. Okay. All right, so the question for this week, and we'll reveal the answers at the beginning of the subsequent Raiders segments. Uh, the question this week is, the Beaumont Golden Gators on-field cap logo was a bee in a golden triangle. What is the significance of the golden triangle?
0: I almost spoiled our very first uh, trivia question. Yeah, get your answers in, again, on the comment on the YouTube channel. Um, Andrew, you're going to be back next week. I, I, this is me telling you you're going to have, I think, now two or three Raiders in a row. Uh, but right. thanks so much for jumping up. And first, before we let you go, let's talk a little Minnesota Twins baseball. Uh, good start to the season? Yeah. I
6: it can't help but be excited. Uh, and it seems like the Bomba Squad is back. Um, we've already had some health and injury issues, but they're they're still producing despite that. And the pitching looks great for the most part. So – I'm
0: feeling pretty optimistic let me ask you this real quick as somebody who's not an astros fan and then we'll let you run um a lot of social media um ha- mileage has been gotten for how cute is it that people are throwing actual trash cans on oh, the field uh, yeah. is that cute to you or should that be immediate banning for life to you
6: I, in my mind don't throw anything on the field ever
0: especially behind mike trout Oh, yeah, I didn't even realize. That's the other thing. Like, how how tone-deaf are you? you? You're not going to – you weren't going to hurt any – I know you're trying to send a message, but you if – you, if that thing would have bounced or something would have came out because one of them was an actual trash can, and then you hurt yeah. your franchise player? Could you it, imagine? It's just ridiculous. It I mean, almost makes you wonder, though, if they're there to boo the Astros versus do they actually care about Angels baseball at all. So – Everybody can
6: take this with a grain of salt because I'm a Vikings fan and until Sean Payton is gone, I will forever hate the Saints and uh, anyone involved with their team and anything they do. Sure. Um, but for my money, if you're focused on something that another team did several years ago now, more than what your own team is doing, that doesn't say much for your fandom or your team. So...
0: I think that's well said. And I think you're exactly right. And I love hearing that from somebody that's neutral. And I think, um, you know, there, there were two people that paid 800 bucks a piece each to be there to boo. And I'm just like, you got nothing better to spend $1,600 on. Um, he is Andrew Nelson. He's holding down Raiders of the Lost Diamond. Uh, Andrew, we'll see you in in just a short week.
6: All right. See you then, Jim.
1: And now, on to close it out, the right-hander from Houston, Texas, James Christopher. So it does wrap up this
0: episode of Let's Get To. and I was looking at, as I was packing up the office for our temporary move out, this gift I got from the Keen Swamp Bats last season, which is their official wood bat, their collegiate summer league team. And, you know, it's it's so awesome that baseball's back, and I just got a little... A little wistful, I guess, for the sound of the crack of the bat. So it's going to be great to, to get it in person. It was fun to see um, crowds at ballparks this year on TV, even if it was limited and even if it was, you know, not at full capacity just yet. I think we'll get there. So I hope that you all are enjoying the first full week of the Major League Baseball season. I hope you're looking forward to getting out to ball games, whatever level it is. So until next time we want to thank all the guests for jumping on with us this week and, and sharing their expertise including you South Paul McGraw. So enjoy the baseball season get out to the ballpark if you can get a dog, get a beer and let's get to.